Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Well, good morning again. Uh, if you weren't here when I was up here earlier, I am Bruce Struxma. I am the senior pastor. And if you are a kid and you are heading off to Sunday school, uh, have fun. If you are a parent and your kid has never gone before, please uh, go with them this first time. Introduce yourself to Bethany so we make sure we have the contact information we need uh, to get a hold of you. Thank you to our kids ministry, youth ministry volunteers, to all the volunteers who have helped set up for this morning. Um, as Ed prayed for that, uh, thank you. Let me take the opportunity to say thank you. So welcome, and it is a big morning. It is our fall kickoff morning, and uh, it's also a new sermon series. And since I've been here, which is coming up on, rapidly coming up on one year, which is exciting for me, um, partly because when you have a little kid, like a little baby, when it's first born, you talk about how old it is, and you say it's one month, it's two months, it's three months old. And for me as a parent, I was excited for it to get to one year old, or them in my case, to get to one year old because I could stop saying months and could start saying years. And I just got annoyed with the, you know, they're 11 months old. Um, I'm feeling the same way here. People come up, how long have you been here? And I've lost track, and so I have to sit there and count the number of months. I'm ready to say over a year. I'm just, I'm ready to do it, so I'm, I'm excited about that. But I'm excited to be here for our first fall kickoff. Oh, thank you. And, and since I started, uh, we've done some sermon series that have been book-focused. We just finished up our Israel's Playlist, looking at the Psalms. We've also done some sermon series that have been more topical-focused. Uh, Christmas is an easy example. When we do Christmas, we tend to look at the Christmas story, where it is throughout Scripture. We also did one in January called Where Are We Going, where we kind of looked at what God was doing here and where we as a church should be going. And so we're going to start a new series this morning um, that, is, that is a little bit more on that topical side. It's not going to follow a book of the Bible or, or a, a, that sort of thing. It's going to look at a topic, and it's called Capital Letters, which is right here. And when you look at the Bible, and when you look, most often we see it in the Old Testament, you'll read along and you'll come to a word like the word God with a capital G, and at other spots you'll come to the word God with a small g. And the Bible, when we're reading it, is using that to differentiate between the true God, capital G God, that, that we worship, that the people of Israel worshiped, and the small g gods, which are the other gods, the false gods like Molech and Baal. And so we see that, and so we're going to look at, that's going to be one of the words we look at actually next week is the word God, and it's this capital G, small g, talking about the true and best use of the word and the less than or general use of the word. Right? And so that's kind of the theme we're going with, but some of those words aren't going to be as clear cut. The one this morning, for example, church. You're not going to read through the Bible necessarily and find a spot where it says capital C church and lowercase c church to differentiate. It's not going to be quite so easy, but we still, as a church, and, and by that I mean capital C church, use that word distinctively. We in the Christian world, talk about the capital C church to be the universal church of all time, of all believers connected throughout history and across denominational lines, right? We talk about that as the capital C church. That is anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, is part of the capital C church. And we use the lowercase c to differentiate that 
in a slightly different way than the big G God and little g God, but more in the sense of, we'll talk about a church as the small c church, meaning the local congregation or the building or in, in a general sense, the church, right? So we're gonna kind of look at that and go, okay, what, is, what does that mean? Why, why do we have that distinction? What does it mean? But lastly, there's you know, another way that we do that, and this one is more social, right? We'll talk socially about um, how we use words like principle. And when we're talking about a very specific person, for example, Watertown High School's Principal Hennen, we capitalize it. And when we talk about high school principals in general, we use the lowercase. And so socially we do that to distinct the true and best use of the word, capital letter, and the general use of the word, lowercase. And I, I bring this up not just to be academic. I know it's the start of school and there's some kids that are here like, oh man, why is he doing this, right? I get that, I'm not trying, but I think there's some words here that we can look at and understand both biblically, theologically, and even socially how they should impact us. That scripture does address these things as we look at these words, that there's a true and best use of the word and there's a general use that's not always bad, but we should be clear when it's one or the other. There are times where we need to look at scripture and say, what does scripture say about this word and what does it mean and what's our true and best understanding of what God meant by that word and what's the general use and how does that impact how we live? Because my goal is not to just, you know, replace your English teacher. My goal is to impact how we live, how we prioritize God. It should affect our lives as believers. And obviously this list, and there's the words we're gonna look at, is not exhaustive. This is the challenge anytime you do a sermon series that doesn't look at a book of the Bible. A book of the Bible generally has a start and a finish and it's pretty clear when you start and when you finish. This one doesn't have that. I mean, at some level, I, through prayer and through uh, try seeking the Lord and, and trying to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, came to, a, I think this is where we should be and where we should focus on this fall but there were some that I really wanted to put in here that didn't make the cut, either because we ran out of time or I felt they were redundant or I felt like God was saying, not, not yet. And so this isn't an exhaustive list. And so it'd be tempting and easy for somebody out there to go, well, I think we should talk about youth ministry. I think we should talk about whatever, fill in the blank, whatever your desire is. And, and we, just, we just can't through 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 time constraints, we can't. In the same way that Psalms, I didn't preach on every Psalm. I don't know if you noticed that. I skipped some. There's a lot of them. We would have been doing it for like three years. And um, I, I don't think you want that and neither did I. And so in the same way, let me encourage you though that you can take some time to dig in on this on your own. If you feel the Holy Spirit is pushing you to dig into an idea, um, like one of the words that's not up there that I wrestled with was humility. And the idea that should we talk about what true humility is and should we push in? If you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to dig into, dig into it on your own. The goal is not that here at the church, we will tell you everything you need to know about being a believer. And if you come here, we're your one-stop shop. Everything's done. You're good to go. The idea here is to train up disciples, to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. So go feed yourselves at some level. If you, if, you're, if you wrestle with something I say, dig into it. 
If you feel like God is moving and, and you feel like there's a topic that he wants you to look into, look into it. And last thing before I really dig in this morning, and again, sorry for all the detailed explanations and, and at the risk of uh, making you feel like you just went from English class to theology class, I do want to kind of get into one last thing here as we look at this that I've kind of already hinted at. Um, and I hope we move out of this academic side of things pretty quickly here. But there's a term that's used in biblical preaching and teaching that applies to not only what happens on a stage like what I'm doing right now, but happens in youth group lessons, in small group discussions, in Bible studies uh, that you do online or in a group or any of those things. There's this term that we use called exegesis. That's the idea, it comes from the same root word that exit comes from, out of. The idea that uh, as you're preaching, as you're teaching, you're taking the truth of God's word out and letting scripture guide what you, what you read and what you understand. And, and the corollary is the idea of eisegesis, the idea that I go around looking through the Bible for verses that support what I want to do and pull them together and go, see, the Bible says that. Kind of this idea of almost like cherry picking verses that we can sit there and go, well, there's this one verse in the Bible that supports my idea, so I'm going to I'm going to use that one. And these that kind of sound like maybe they're talking about something different, we're just going to like not talk about those. We're going to gloss over them. And so this idea of exegesis and eisegesis, eisegesis meaning putting my own ideas into scripture, exegesis being letting scripture come out to me and tell me what truth is. Sometimes we can confuse those concepts. And especially when we start doing like topical sermon series and topical Bible studies, there's this temptation that people have to think that, that that's what we're doing. We're just picking and choosing, right? We're just picking and choosing. Bruce, you, you, you picked the verses that you thought supported your view of what the church is or your view of what God is, and you ignored all of these. First of all, my goal is that that's not the case. If you, like I said earlier, if we're, we're talking about the church, unless you want to be here for the next six hours, I can't use every verse in scripture that talks about the church, directly or indirectly. Um, and so, yes, I am doing a little bit of picking and choosing, but the idea is to whet your appetite, that you can go a little deeper, that you can dig into it some more. And there's going to be verses I use that you're going to kind of look at and go, well, that doesn't feel like it says the word church. It doesn't at all. But maybe it directs it or, or, or speaks to it indirectly. And I bring this up just because I want to be fully open and clear on this, that I think we need both. We need topical studies. We do that with our theology when we call it systematic theology. We look at what scripture says about a given topic across the entire Bible. And we look at it and we go, okay, I want to know what the Bible says about the end times. And we read this chapter in Daniel and these chapters in Revelation. And we go, oh, these work together this way to paint a full picture. And we can do that well through study and meditation and come to this, this understanding. And we can do that poorly in the same way with biblical, going through it verse by verse through a book of the Bible we can do that poorly, where we can say, look, I'm going to look at this entire chapter of Scripture, and I'm just going to hit these couple of verses that I like, kind of gloss over the rest. And we can do that in our own personal study, and we can do it in our small groups, in our Bible studies, and even preaching. And so constantly we have to be on this guard of saying, look, I really want to know what Scripture says across the board and at any given time. And we need both to kind of hold in balance with each other. And so as we dig in this morning and as we dig in through this series, I would encourage you that if I bring up the topic of the church or the topic of God's goodness or the topic of who God is, I can't address it all. 
And if there's a spot where you feel like I have overstepped or undervalued it, um, I would encourage you to dig in on your own first, and then I would love to sit down and have coffee with you and talk about that. And I, I'm, I'm not perfect. Maybe there is a spot where I've overstepped or understepped or missed something. But the idea is that we come around this together and that this whets your appetite to dig in. What does God's word say? What does that have to, have to do? And so ultimately what I'm getting at is this, whether I am preaching or somebody is doing a Bible study on a book or on a topic, we wanna know what scripture says first. That's where we wanna start. And both are beneficial and we need both in the church. So let's dig into God's word this morning. And we're gonna talk about the capital C church. We're gonna talk about that universal church. What is it that scripture teaches us about the church? And again, there's a lot there. And unless you wanna be here after the picnic, um, I can't cover it all. Look through God's word. What does it say about the church? There's a lot of passages there. But I think, I think this morning I want to highlight three things that I think Scripture teaches us about what the church is and what it is meant to be, and in some ways what it is not and what it is not meant to be. And I think us focusing on the distinction between the capital C and the little c would be a great thing. And so number one, I want us to think about this, the fact that the church is its people right? A church is its people. It's not the building. And I've kind of hinted at this already, but the church is not the building or the denomination or even the people necessarily in this room. We are not the only church. The church is its people. It's not the building. It's not the organization. It's not the programs. The church is the people. And throughout the Bible, including the Old Testament, that we see that, we see that God is not about buildings or organizations. When, when King David wants to build a temple. He, he realizes that David is living in a palace and God is, the temple is living in a tent. And, and David comes and, and he says, God, I want to build you a temple because, you know, you're still in a tent. And, and his response is, God's response to David is, hey, if I needed a building, I would have said something. Right? And he says, it's, it's for the next generation to build that building. It's not about the building. It's not about the organizational structure. It's not about, and those are good things, but that's not what it's about. That's not really what the church is. Jeremiah 7 gives us this view, verses 22 and 23. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command, obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. God is about people and the church is called to be a people about God. We are called to be his people. In the Old Testament, we saw that that was the people of Israel. And after the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was a shift that his people, the definition of that was broadened to include uh, Gentiles, to, to include all of those who followed God and walked with God. And so we see this, this broadening of what the capital C church is, but it's always been about the people. It's always been about the people and not the burnt offerings, not the programs, not the sacrifices, not the buildings. Our evangelical free church statement of faith gives a great statement for us to, to focus on. The true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed of only believers. Another way we say that is the church is composed of believers only, but all believers. But don't think that the free church or I am trying to say that you have to be a part of 
Watertown Evangelical Free Church to be a true believer, or the Evangelical Free Church of America to be a true believer. We know there are true believers in many, many denominations, that the, the true universal church expands outside of us. It includes the, the Free Lutherans. It includes the Christian Missionary Alliance. It includes Baptists. It includes Lutherans. It's broad. It's a big church. And there are going to be people in a local church who, who don't belong to the universal church. People who might be in this room who go, look, I haven't put my faith in Jesus Christ yet. And that's okay. You are welcome here. But biblically, you're not part of the universal church yet. But that door is open to you still. But as we talk about the church as being for believers only, we don't mean you can't come through our doors, but we do mean that's what com comprises the body. That's what builds the church. And one of the challenges of defining the church as believers is that I, standing up here as the senior pastor, don't know who is. There's no way that I can go through, like we don't, we don't get a magic you know, wristband that appears when we become a true believer. We don't get um, a, a t-shirt, right? That says, I'm a believer, that I can walk around and be like, oh, you know, secret handshake, you know, like you're joining some secret society. Uh, we could try and start one, but we still wouldn't know. Somebody can come in and say, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. And, and we don't truly know. And so we have to walk into this with some humility. Humility acknowledging that somebody that we might think on the outward appearance isn't a believer might be, and somebody who we think on outward appearance is might not be. So we have to walk into it with some humility going, this is what we believe the church to be, but the only, the only one who knows what the true church is, is God. I don't. And I can't sit there and say, they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. But it is about his people. It is about his people. And so what constitutes a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, again, we look to scripture. Romans 10, 12 through 13 tells us this. For is there, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what constitutes a true believer. Another verse, 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. There it is. I mean, we see in there that it's about believing in Jesus Christ and he knows who we are. And it's about uh, full confession and repentance, which includes this idea of turning away from wickedness. That's what it is. That's what it means to be a believer. That's what makes up the church. The church is about the people, but it's not about race or gender or denomination or doctrinal statement or building size or governance format, membership status or any other system. It is about faith in Jesus Christ. That is the church, and the church is about the people. And if the church is about people, then we should be about people. As we do our fall kickoff, we have some great programs happening. We have a youth program starting. We have a WANA starting. We have kids Sunday school starting. We have Bible studies. We have Wednesday family night. We have dinners. We have community breakfast. We have all these great programs. The goal is not the programs. The goal is not to have the biggest WANA program in the state or the 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 uh, wackiest youth group or the whatever, that's not the goal. The goal is that we are touching people's lives. The goal is that other people are becoming part of that universal church. That people are stepping forward and saying, I wanna put my faith in Jesus Christ. That is the goal. And if we are about, if God's church is about the people, then we need to be about people as well. And look at, lastly, look at all the language we see in, in the church in the New Testament. 
The analogies used in scripture to speak to this role as a community, we talk in 1 Corinthians of a body of believers. We talk in Hebrews and other places where all the, the apostles will refer to us as a family and they'll say brothers, brethren, brothers and sisters, family language. Or in John and Revelation who refers to the church as the bride of Christ. This is relational language. We are to be about people. It's all about community and people. And we also see in Scripture that those relationships in the church have a huge impact on the church because the second thing is that the church is about its culture. A church is its culture. Who we are as believers brings us together and identifies us, but it also creates this culture. And every church has a culture, and every family has a culture. And if you come and hang out with my family, my family will function different than your family. And this church will act a little different than that church. But I'm not saying there is a right culture and a wrong culture, but I do think there are some defining characteristics of what that culture should be as we seek to be the church. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about being fearfully and wonderfully made and how diverse God created his people. And so that difference in culture is not a right or wrong, better or worse conversation, but we should be aware that our local church, Little C, has a culture that we have, and we have a culture we should be pursuing, a godly culture. And the universal church has a, the big C church, has a culture as well that we should also be pursuing, that there's a culture we are called to live out. There's a culture we are called to fulfill. And does the Bible speak to what culture the capital C church should look like? Absolutely. In lots of places. And this is another spot where there are a lot of verses I could have looked at and did look at, but I've settled on three that I want us to think about this morning because I think they are some of the big three. And I think they are unity, worship, and goodness. Again, there are a lot of other verses and, and topics I could have said, but I think our culture as a little seed church at Watertown needs to be about those things because I think the big C universal church is, should be about those things. John 17, this is uh, when Jesus is praying before his crucifixion. And he says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's talking about all believers throughout all time. This is his prayer that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. All believers, that they would be unified, that they would be one, that they would be united. This is where that culture comes in of if we're really a church that's believers only, but all believers, there are gonna be times where we disagree with somebody else and we still need to be unified. Unity does not mean uniformity, that we all look the same. Unity doesn't mean unanimity, that we are unanimous on everything. We are not going to agree. This might shock some of you, but even my wife and I disagree on some things. I'm sure none of your marriages have that, those of you that are married. You don't have any disagreements in your house, but we do. And yet we can be unified. We can disagree and still be unified, and that is the culture, and that takes a lot of humility to be able to look at somebody else and go, look, I don't see scripture exactly as you do on this topic, but I do see scripture that, that we agree on who Jesus is, what it means to be saved. So we can set these secondary things aside and go, we are still unified even though we disagree. We are called to that level of unity because he's praying for all those that believe. 
In diversity, unity in essentials. We are called to have that unity on those things that are essential. Who is Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be saved? And charity on all the other things, which brings about a bigger unity. So we are called to this idea of unity. And so I'd encourage you, even if you disagree with me on some of these things, let's have a conversation, but let us not divide over these things. We can still be unified. Second, we should have a culture of worship. I love the video that was played. A culture of worship. A culture, though, that sees worship beyond just the singing of songs on Sunday morning. We can worship in all that we say and all that we do. We can worship as we set up tables, as we clean up after a picnic. We can worship as we volunteer in the youth program in Iwana. We can worship as we serve on the ERT. We can worship as we change light bulbs. We can worship as we work in the nursery. We can worship in all of these, and we can worship at home, in, at work. We can worship in all of these places. We need to be about worship. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And notice, he, yes, Colossians, Paul, does talk about the need for worship in songs, hymns, and psalms. Yes, worship is music. But he quickly moves on and says, and in word and deed. It's not limited to that. And I think oftentimes we limit the idea of worship to being, you know, we come to Sunday morning, we sing, we maybe raise our hands, we maybe say amen, we maybe clap, and, and we walk out the door, and there, I'm done with worship for the week. But that's not what I see in Colossians. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. So how can you do it all in the name of the Lord? How can you harvest crops in the name of the Lord? How can you go to work at a bank in the name of the Lord? How can you stay at home with your kids in the name of the Lord? How can you teach uh, at school in the name of the Lord? How can we do all of these things in the name of the Lord? These all can and should be part of our worship. So a church is its culture and is about unity. It is about worship and it is about goodness. We need a church culture that is defined as good by God's definition of good. We need a church culture that is good. And I've talked about this before, but we want a culture that breathes, breathes life and healing into people, not a culture that cuts down and divides. And so this is, what, this is again from Jesus in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And catch this from verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We are called to be good shepherds as Jesus is a good shepherd. We are called to care for those, defend those, look out for those who need our assistance and our help. We want a church culture that is good and it is a place of healing for people where they can come in and find the hope that is in Jesus Christ, where they can find their good shepherd, where we model that good shepherding. We want a church culture that is good. We want to speak life into people. 
And I could go on. There are lots of things that I think our church culture could be defined by. We could pick the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are good things. There are a lot of things that we want our church culture to be about, but I want, I think we need a special focus right now on those three. Not because we don't have them, but I think they are so integral to who we are, and I think it's where God wants us to grow in unity, in worship, and in goodness. But a church is not just its people and its culture because we can have only believers gathered in this room and we can have a good, healthy culture and we have created a country club. There is something we are missing still if that's all we have. And a church is its focus. Ultimately, the church exists for a reason. We could have that great group of people and a great culture and accomplish nothing. We have a job to do. We have a task to finish. And, and I think we can see in Scripture there are several things we are called to. And again, I'm going to focus on a couple of things. We talked about the Lord's Prayer. In fact, we prayed it last week at the end of communion. And I have us do it every time we do communion. Why? One, I think it's great because it reminds us that the church is bigger than this congregation. We are unified with other believers whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer because they pray it as well. It reminds us that there's something larger, but it also is a great reminder of what our focus should be. Look at the start of, his, of, of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And look at some of that stuff that's in there that we've already talked about. The family language, the community of believers, the unity All of that is in there, and then there's the task. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not called to just escapism, to be together as believers, knowing that we have eternity with God, and therefore I have mine, I am good, I'm set. I don't need to worry about it. We are called to bring God's kingdom here on earth as well, not just in heaven. Later on in the same prayer, Jesus will say this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I think in there, there's a little bit of a view of what that means to live out that focus. We are to be forgiving people who are forgiven and do forgive. We are to be a people that that praise and, and trust God to meet our needs and are generous in return. And we are a group of people, as it already said, who should be seeking to avoid wickedness and avoid temptation and trusting God to work. It is a focus on how we live and it should impact our world. But what about our church? If we as individuals are on a mission, are we as a community on a mission as well? Do we have a focus? And we see our call as Jesus' last words on earth in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are called to be disciple makers. 
We came to faith because somebody discipled us. Somebody shared the truth of the gospel with us. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a camp counselor. Maybe it was a teacher. I don't know. But you came to faith because somebody shared it with you. And we are called to take it and share it with others and disciple them. Not just get them to, to sign on the dotted line. There, you got your escape ticket. You can get out of uh, this, this earth. When you die, you'll go to heaven. You're done good to go, moving on. We are called to disciple them. That means walking in, in community with them. That means being unified with them. That means having these things that we're talking about what the church is. It's about the people. It's about the culture. That's discipling. That's what we try to do here as a church on our Wednesday family night Bible studies. That's what we try and do through youth ministry and through Awana. We want to disciple people. Why? So they disciple others. That is our focus, to build the kingdom of God. And look at, look at how they did it in Acts chapter 2. The early church, always a great example for what we as a church should look like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look at the, look at the description there. There's no description of what the apostles taught on. There's no sermon series laid out. There's no programs laid out. There's no, hey, you know, they did Awana and then they did youth ministry and they, they did the, the four spiritual laws or they did this or they did that. That's not in there. What we see is a, a unified people. What we see is a culture. We see a family. And we see them worshiping and we see them looking into God's word and we see the fruit of that. It's not about the program. It's not about the organization. They don't list the menu for the meals that they serve, but they did break bread together. They did communion. They had common meals. Last week we had communion. Today we're having a picnic. These are the types of things that they did. And we see the fruit of it. And that's what we want. We want to see people come to know Christ. That is our focus as a church. We take the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that defines the capital C church. And we seek to build a culture that brings love, that love, that goodness, that unity into our community, valuing the people over the programs and trusting that when God moves, he will move and that people will come to know him. And then our job is to walk along with them. So would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this church, Watertown Evangelical Free Church. God, but I also thank you for your universal church throughout all time. God, that we are unified with other believers when we pray to you, that we are unified with other believers when we worship you. God, that we are unified with other believers when we serve you in our community. God, we pray for our community of Watertown, of Mayer. God, for the surrounding communities, Lord, that you would be at work here. Lord, that people who don't know you because of what we are doing, Lord, would come to know you. We want to see our communities changed for you. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our community and in our world. And so, Lord, we pray with other believers everywhere, and God, we, our heart breaks for them. God, in places where they are experiencing persecution, in places where they are experiencing catastrophe, Lord, we know and we pray for our 
brothers and sisters in Christ who are there suffering. And Lord, we also pray for healing in those areas. And God, we ask that you would move there as well. So Lord, help us to be a capital C church-focused church. God, that our vision as Watertown Evangelical Free Church would not stop with our four walls. God, that we would see your kingdom come. I pray this in your name. A couple of quick things uh, before we go. Just as we talk about making disciples, I want to highlight a couple of ways that we are doing that this fall as opportunities. And so as you look on the screen, there should be a bunch of fall options coming up. These are things that I already talked about. If you want to know more about them, if you scan that QR code on the bookmark, go to the bottom, fall schedule, you can see all the variety of things we're doing with the goal of being disciple makers who make disciples. Another one that's kind of unrelated, but is so, so important, but it seems so trivial, is communication. We, uh, you may have heard, are transitioning to a different communication software that will allow us to be a little bit more unified and consistent, um, but that does require some change. So this week, you'll start getting emails instead of from our normal system through the new one. We don't want you to miss out if you used to get them and you stopped getting them. That wasn't intentional. Um, We are not trying to exclude anybody. This stuff happens. So please, uh, there is a way to register to make sure you get on those and on any new ones. We're starting like an Awana one. We're starting a uh, youth ministry one. We want to make sure that you are on all of those. So uh, you can scan that QR code. You can find that in the QR code on the bookmark. You can also talk to Cher and do it with her laptop today. Um, All sorts of stuff. That way we want to make sure you're still getting those. Lastly, stick around today. We do have a picnic. We do want to get to know you if you're new. This is a great way to meet us, get to know us. We can get to know you. Uh, We also have plenty of food. It is going to take some time to transition. So when we are done, I'm going to pray now for the food and for our our meal. Uh, Then we're going to be released. It will take us a few minutes to get all the food set out. For those that have been here in the past, we're doing it a little different. We had a problem apparently with bees last year. So we are going to serve out of the upper lobby to try and Limit the bee exposure if you're a bee allergic person. We also have some tables in the chapel upstairs if you want to sit inside. Whether you're bee allergic or not, there's some tables in there, but there's a big tent and an inflatable outside. Uh, We'd love to have you join us. I'm going to pray for that, and then I'm going to share our benediction, and then we will go. So would you pray with me for our picnic and our food? God, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the bounty that we have. And Lord, as we share a meal together, Lord, we pray a blessing over the food and our time together. Lord, I thank you for all of the hands, those that are grilling now, uh, those that um, God made the food at home and brought it. Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you for how you provide. Lord, I pray a blessing over our community meal together. I pray this in your name. Amen. And as we go, Our benediction this morning is from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.